Shane. You always had a situation in a big way, man. I just don't know how to express myself sometimes when I need to be properly different. Fuck. And welcome to the lockdown. On this episode, we welcome a UK BJJ pioneer to the show. He is or has played a huge part in the growth of BJJ in Europe and here to talk to us tonight about all things COVID-19 and answer our questions on the BJJ state of play under the current circumstances is Professor Nicholas Brooks. Welcome Nick, how are you? I'm fine mate, fine you know what I mean? I'm just gonna if you, if if this doesn't go video, I'm gonna just do a description of how Nick looks, and we'll put a we'll put a picture out when we put the podcast out. Nick, okay. is, I mean, can, can you hear what I'm saying, or do I have to remove my disguise? You might have to remove your disguise, but for now, I mean, Nick Nick looks like he's he's some sort of hazmat expert, but also looks like he's he's uh, he's hoarding all the toilet roll in the UK. So. Man. I don't know whether that's no going to make you like a hated figure or a loved figure. I'm not sure how that works, but um, but yeah. Either way, I'm going to have a clean ass tomorrow morning. So who cares? <laughs> Clean, cleaner than a lot of people's. Yeah, everyone's using their hands, aren't they? And welcome to the other boys tonight. Who we got on tonight? Adam Keeley, Esquire, King of Kids Online Free Training. Um, we have Jordan Ling S. Preston. Tech Mong, Ryan Cronk. <laughs> <laughs> nice one, boys. Uh, yeah, so last night we had Dom on, ex-Marine and healthcare worker, and that was a that was a good show. And um, uh, tonight, I think I'd just probably just kick off with a really straightforward question to uh, Nick. And, you know... What is your take on the current situation? Do you think this is hysteria going crazy or do you think we're doing the right thing? Well, I'm pretty confused, actually, because I mean, it's called, what, COVID-19? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's fucking last year, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I mean, and I didn't realise that too long ago, actually. I mean, I mean, what happens when COVID-20 hits us? I mean, are we, are we, I mean we haven't got over 19 yet. And, and it is, mute, well, I mean, the story is it mutates. So that could be, it could be 20, 21, 22, 23, 24. Um, how are you guys getting on with isolation at the moment or lockdown or whatever you want to call it? How are you doing with that at the moment? Well, I mean, the word lockdown is is kind of, uh, I mean, the Prime Minister never said the word lockdown. So it's not really a lockdown, is it? So, I right. mean, I mean, a lockdown is only a lockdown if it's enforced. I mean, if it's not enforced, what is it? It's just a fucking request. So... And uh, as as Londoners are, no one no one gives a shit and does their normal daily stuff anyway. So <laughs> nothing's changed. Motherfuckers. <laughs> and is that the fact? I mean, we're not in London. We, as most people know, we're based in Dorset. What what? When you look out your window, Nick, or when you when you you know see what's going on, is it like? Does it look just like life as normal? Are people just going out and doing their thing? Is there anything different? No, absolutely no different whatsoever. People congregating, 
doing all their normal stuff. The only thing they can't do is get a McDonald's. Right. Which uh, is probably worse, because they'd be yeah. congregating in there instead. I mean, yeah, it's, it's to be honest with you, I mean, it's... Uh, so somebody posted a photograph this morning of West Ham Station, and it's just absolutely rammed chocker of people on their way to work. So what's different? No one's wearing masks. No one wearing gloves. I mean, it's a breeding ground. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And and is this something? You know, I mean, you're a family man. You you know, um, is this something that that you does it worry you? Does it bother you? You know, this situation, or do you you know feel like we should be doing something for the greater good, which is like staying indoors? Is that that's the general I mean, consensus? Isn't it? I mean, I have it. I, I was on lockdown a week before everybody else went on lockdown. So, you know, it was just one of those things. I had the surgery and uh, basically I was indoors for a week early. So yeah. I, I've actually seen absolutely none of it. But, you know, Shady's been out shopping and doing something she has to do. And everybody's just behaving as normal. Like I say, no one's taking any real precautions. Yeah. I mean, in all honesty, I mean, the Prime Minister is just a fucking joke and what he's been doing is a joke. I mean, I mean, yeah. you either lock people down or you're not. I mean, what? where are we going with this? Yeah. I mean, that's interesting you say that because uh, I think that's the consensus of a lot of people, isn't it? That the recommended, recommendations don't work. And and I think also, I don't know whether you, because again, you, you, you're a business owner, you know, you, you've got a really successful set of uh, schools, BJJ schools, got a lot of instructors, like we were saying, out in Europe, you know, um, who support a lot of other instructors out there. Is it the fact that there is, you know, ca- there are, there is some people that just can't stay in because they have to work or they have to earn money because there's no alternative? Do you think that is a big flaw in this plan that the Prime Minister's put forward? The thing is, I mean, he said key workers. What exactly is a key worker? Because I pretty much guarantee you this morning everybody thought they were key workers. Mm. And that's funny, isn't it? Because there are a lot of, I mean, people who are in the supermarkets are key workers at the moment, aren't they? Yeah. People who drive the lorries are key workers at the moment. Exactly. So, it, 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 people it, who serve you in Sports Direct, because if you can't get your sadly jogging pants, you know, <laughs> you're screwed for a week, aren't you? So, you know what I mean? It's key workers, mate, you know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. In all honesty, I mean, until it's specifically laid out and the military get involved, it's not a lockdown, it's just a fucking request. And people will do what they have to do regardless and ignore any instruction it's just i don't know if it's human nature but it's definitely dumbass london nature anyway right yeah i mean is that exactly where you think we're going with this then nick do you think there's there's going to be a case where because you you've got a lot of friends germany italy spain you've got you got mates all over europe what, what is the yeah. feedback from them guys I mean, Italy's been hit the hardest, as we all know anyway. I mean, I mean, most of my friends are in Sardinia, which is the most southerly island. But on the mainland, man, it's locked down. You, you are not on the street. In, Bo- in Bosnia, a friend of mine from Bosnia, you know, the, the military are patrolling the streets. You're allowed out one person to go shopping from your family. Anybody, if you're in a car with more than one person, you're stopped and you're arrested. Yeah, yeah. You know, arrested, I mean, simple as. And they I mean, don't muck about over there, do they? That's not, they're not, they're not police you want to mess with. They're, uh, well, the thing they're, is, they actually have a police force that can cope. I mean, our, our, our lovely government have cut our police force by about 20,000 officers over the last few years. So even if the police get involved, they can't cope anyway. Even if you've got the whole police in the country, they probably couldn't lock down London if they wanted to. No, you've got no. the military in. Yeah. I mean, that's down to fucking Tory funding, so you can thank them for that as well. Yeah, and they've almost said that as much as well, haven't they, Nick? They've said, the police have said, you know, it's, it's down to you. We can't do it. 
Exactly. Exactly. So but the thing is, you know, you, you're going to com- commit economic suicide if you lock down London, aren't you? Yes. But, yeah. I mean, what are you going to do? You know, make a few of your rich um, Tory bankers and insurance uh, companies go bankrupt or are you going to lose lives? You've got to make a decision. Yeah, and I guess in two weeks' time, what we've been saying on, on, on the podcast, that really this is all going to come into fruition, not now, but 14 days from now, you're gonna, people are going to recognise. Because actually, do you know what? There's a lot of people that think Boris is doing a really good job, actually, you know, sure. that, that you hear on... on on the you know on social media and so on and so forth but i think how you you can't tell these things until you get down the line and you see where italy are up to 4000 people dead and think you know we have acted you know in that if that is correct we have acted way too late because we're not even acting now so um, what what have we actually done apart from shut mcdonald's not a lot <laughs> You know, uh, it, it started off with please stay indoors and then it became I'll look serious and be very intense and go you know you must stay indoors and yeah. people go yeah right I'm off to work in the morning so what was yeah. that? Oh, you, are, you are allowed to go for a walk as well oh uh, yeah but how are you going to police that how do they know we've been for more than one walk and how long is your walk exactly I mean all these all these so-called measures are impossible to enforce yeah. without some kind of intervention which he doesn't want to do so basically it's a load of bollocks yeah, uh, yeah. italy have been in lockdown for what two weeks now and it's yeah. only the last two days that their daily cases have decreased and their daily deaths have decreased yeah well it was, it was announced today in the netherlands we have a gym there in Enschede, and uh, they're, they're going to be on lockdown now till june the first fucking hell wow, wow. And and in Northwick Park, which is not a million miles away from you, Nick, I know you know that area well, Edgware and that. Um, that had 21 deaths today. That that hospital, all yeah, well, from the coronavirus. I, ironically, um, when I was when I had my hip replacement uh, last Friday, uh, I was in a ward of six people, and they couldn't get rid of us quick enough. And they sent one old guy who had a heart problem during the operation, and they shipped that poor guy off to Northwick Park. Wow. I mean, fuck it. Yeah. Like a death sentence. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Shit. Unbelievable, isn't it? But yeah, I mean, I mean, the first, I I had my first hip surgery last year Mm. and I was in hospital for five days. I could have gone home probably in four, but I failed the stair test, which means how many stairs you have to your home. You have have to be able to walk up the stairs with crutches. And And I couldn't do it the first time around. So I waited. They made me wait another day. They wouldn't let me home. So I was there for five days. This time around, they, they shipped me out in 48 hours. I got to the stairs. There wasn't enough stairs in that block. They said, yeah, yeah, you, you look pretty strong. That's fine. You can go home. Unbelievable. Get you out quick. Ship you out. Well, try getting from a hospital bed to your own bed in, after 40 hours after a hip replacement when you can't yeah. even sit up and grab a cup of tea. I mean, but they just, they just didn't want you in there. You know what I mean? Yeah. What, what was that feeling like? Did you Did you feel like there was trouble or did it feel like from the staff that it was there was trouble ahead were you getting that impression from them that you were like a real secondary <laughs> type yeah um, it, it, it seemed like that they wanted you out yeah you had, as soon as you physically could leave the hospital they wanted you out there's, there's a guy opposite me because i was in a room of six and i was probably the second last to go when i left there's only one other person in the room and um, he was probably late in his 60s, maybe early 70s. And he couldn't go home till Monday because until his son had finished work. And they basically harassed him, you know, to go home. Yeah. But where is he going to go? 
you know, a guy that age can't 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 get out of hospital that early. But I mean, they they fucking harassed the guy pretty much, but he couldn't go anywhere. So I don't I don't know what happened with that. He probably went home the next day. But I'd, um, when I left, they were still there sitting with him, saying, "Are you sure you can't go home?" And he's like, "Well, yeah, I can't go home. So what do you want me to do?" Yeah, it seems to be the point where I mean, I, I at the moment the one thing that's been and I don't know what your opinion is on this that's been frustrating me a little bit today though has been there's been a lot of shaming of people that are out and about and I understand that because we're all trying to do our bit to stay in and not have contact but like you said Nick the guidance just hasn't but it is literally that it's guidance and and it, and Matt Hancock said today people can go to work if you can't work from home you are allowed to go to work which seems to be completely contradictory to what everything anyone's saying it's almost like they're putting it right back on the people of the, of the uk you know they're, they're putting it back on us to make the decision when it shouldn't be our decision the the moment the government make it a law or a rule that you can't go anywhere and you physically can't then there's a huge amount of compensation involved that's going to cost the government and the country shitloads of money. Mm. And we know about the Tories. They don't want to spend fuck all, do they? No. So at the moment, they're asking us because at the end of the day, if we choose not to go to work, we have all these things in place to pay us afterwards. Mm. But the bottom line is when they force us, that's it. That's it. It's the law. You can't go to work. And all of a sudden, I mean, who's going to pay for that? Yeah. Have you heard from any of your other instructors in 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 Europe how yeah. they are being supported? Are they are they uh, being supported at all? Ger- Germany is completely locked down, completely right. nationally locked down. But you expect that from Germany anyway. I mean, all the schools are closed, even the public parks are closed. Right. You physically can go, you can go, you can go. One person can go for a shop, and that's about it. Netherlands is shut down. Italy is shut down. I mean, Bosnia is the same thing, shut down. I haven't really heard too much about Croatia. But I imagine Croatia is very similar to German, uh, to um, Bosnia in, in that respect. And uh, they don't take no shit. But it's all gone very, very quiet. No but those guys, are those guys with the businesses, are they, are they being looked after by the countries? I mean, the, the, the difference is that people like, for example, they're talking about the state of BJJ instructors. Let's say they're, they're independent business people. And really, there is no... There is no support for those guys. You know, like you say, there's aftermath support. There's like loans and things like that. But there's, are the guys in Europe, are they getting looked after? Do you know? Do you know if they're getting any support from the government there? I honestly don't know. I couldn't tell you. Yeah. Really don't that, know. That, that makes it difficult, doesn't it? It makes it, and I, I know there's a big stir up in, in the UK, especially, you know, around gym owners and things like that, because we were like the first to get, Really, we were ordered to close, weren't we, to a certain extent? Yeah, uh, I mean, at the, very, at the very beginning, you know, there were, there were a couple of people, you know, a few people kind of very disrespectful, you know, oh, yeah, I chose to close. East isn't, yeah, I mean, the people that chose to close, obviously the gym wasn't their, wasn't their primary income, so they could afford to close. A lot, of others, a lot of people weren't in that same boat, you know, and the thing is, if your primary income is your gym, then the decision to close was very difficult to make, not an easy yeah. one. No, and, you know, so far up their own ass, you know, they're sticking their chest out. Oh, look at me, I closed my gym. Yeah, but you could afford to close it. Yeah. If you had your, your feet in other people's shoes, you, w- you wouldn't make the decision so quickly. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, it, it depends on, you know, everybody's individual uh, situation and financial situation, more importantly. 
mm. until we're forced to, well, not so forced to close, we can still stay open, but who's going to come? Yeah, I yeah. Mean, in between asking to close and being forced to close, I mean, we had like maybe two people come to a class out of, and yeah. normally around about 38, 40 people, just two. So it's yeah. people are staying away because they feel necessary. At least some, be, at least this is a B-day today, love being sensible. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's difficult though, wasn't it? Because the requests and the closures were still with almost zero support for those yeah. what is self-employed people now. Which, you know, that that's that's where the gap is. That's what I see. Uh, I don't know what the other boys think, but at the moment I see, you know, the, the guys that are employed, if they haven't been kicked out of their jobs already, there is a small glimmer of hope on the horizon that they will get paid something. They'll get paid. And for businesses that are in properties, there is a small glimmer of hope. But for those self-employed guys and, and contractors and so on and so forth, there is like literally nothing. You know, there's no, there's no. They've got, um, they've taken the floor off the universal credit, haven't they? So I think that's the route they push you down. Right. So there's no so minimum. Yeah, no minimum income thing. Sign but, on, uh, whatever you call it. Yeah, you're signing on, basically. I mean, what I don't even know what that. I mean, I'm I'm guessing that a lot of guys, skilled guys, you know, contractors, plumbers, electricians would struggle to maintain their their upkeep of their bills, you know, on on universal credit. You know, I mean, Um, you know, I'm not saying that that that's right or wrong because it's absolutely wrong. You shouldn't be, you know, there should be support there for people, but um, it just isn't isn't. necessarily spelt out or when you're saying that employed people are getting 80 percent potentially their wage up to two and a half grand and self-employed people can collect your 90 pound a week i think you know? they they um i'm not sure if this is factual yet but i think they did have a committee meeting on a uh, committee meeting on it yesterday but i don't think anything's been passed through yet uh but rumors are that it might be 80 percent of the past three years of your uh books uh, you might be able to claim that, but I don't know if that's fact yet. That might be fake news. Yeah. No, I've, yeah. I've heard a similar, but um, the problem with all the self-employed geezers, not to drop anyone in the poo, but a lot of it's cash. Don't yeah. go through the books. So, um, you know, not to say I would never do such a thing for private <laughs> lessons or anything like that, but um, it's not declared. It's not on the bank. So, um, but it does happen, doesn't it? It does happen. Yeah. So your real earnings... Aren't, aren't going to be reflected in the books. Yeah. Ad, you had a question for Nick. Do you want to kick off your question? Yeah. Hello, Nick. How are you? Hello. Hi, Adam. <laughs> um, so you said oh, you had a... Before we start, I'm kind of overheating in the panties here. Do you mind if I take them off? While Nick gets undressed, I'm going to just describe what Nick had. He's got a pair of what what look like secure breathing... There are pants, um, there are pants as well. <laughs> <laughs> what I like to call P3 level pants, protection three level pants, and a paper white suit on, um, and some protective goggles that were that were just protecting him from our potential transfer of internet COVID-19. Through uh, the Wi-Fi. He still, he still does look like um, the Tony Montana of Lou Roll in the background. Sixty-six. Sixty-six. Walter White of Lou Roll. The Walter White of Lou Roll. That is it, exactly that. The Walter White. Still have some antibiotics just in case. <laughs> 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 I 
yeah, a cool. pint of antibiotics. Yeah. <laughs> so go on, Thanks for that. Mm. Hello, dude. <laughs> Hello. So you mentioned you had an operation. Yeah. I know about an operation. Can you tell us more about that and what happened in the past? So it's a uh, uh, version two. How you got it? What caused it? And what's going to happen in the future? Well, I kind of abused my body doing combat sports for many, many years, like boxing and other things, and uh, loads of running and gym and blah, 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 blah. And then I kind of wore out all the tissue in my in my hip joints. I got diagnosed with needing a hip replacement in 2012, I think it was. Managed to keep on kind of managing it because the fear of having a hip replacement kind of terrified me, really. Because you kind of, you kind of um, associate having a hip replacement with old people. I didn't kind of consider myself to be old. And in 2012, I would have been, what, oh, 46, 45, 46, yeah, something like that. Uh, yeah, something like that. So, um, yeah, I, I didn't really want to have it done, so I kind of managed it. And I managed to keep on training and competing a little bit, but it obviously tapered off quite a lot with the pain management. Up until about 2015, where I pretty much couldn't even put my socks on. So I started wearing something called Crocs. Luckily for me, Crocs are one of the most fashionable, fashionable people on the planet. So I kind of slotted into, slotted into high, high-level society very quickly wearing Crocs. Maybe you, know you set I mean? the trend, Nick. You set yeah, the trend. I mean. So, um, yeah. So then I started to think seriously about having it done by about 2015. Uh, by about 2017, I was done. I decided to compete one more time in, in the Europeans in January, and that was be done after that. And I spent the next two years looking for a surgeon because I didn't want to have my uh, a full a full prosthesis. I want to have a, a, a called a Birmingham hip, a sports hip, where they resurface the ball and the socket. And uh, after two years of umming and ahhing, going from surgeon to surgeon, I finally was told that I destroyed my hip so badly they can't resurface something that doesn't have a surface. So basically, my 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 my, my socket had worn another socket inside the socket. So my hip, the ball was just rolling <laughs> here, not in the main bit. And it was all bone on bone by that point. So uh, it comes to the point that I had to make a decision in January last year to have a full prosthesis, which I did in June. Uh, recovery was really, really slow um, because uh, I couldn't do the rehab. Because when I started going to the gym by about August, my left hip started hurting, hurting doing all the gym work. Because, you know, do your hips, you've got to do squats leg press, rowing, bike, and to do that, he used both hips. So I went back and saw the surgeon and said, he asked me how my hip was. He goes, oh, I said, oh, my hip's fine. It's really, really smooth. I'm pain-free. I'm absolutely loving it. But my left hip's really, really hurting. He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. When do you want it done? And so I thought to myself, yeah, how about back in January? How about two months ago, like I asked you back in January? And then he hit me with the, with the news that he didn't put the line into the socket correctly. So the line and the socket weren't, weren't properly aligned. It was sticking out. And uh, I took an x-ray. I said, yeah, it hasn't moved. So it looks like it will stay there. So I had a second opinion who disagreed with me and a third opinion who disagreed with him. So I went back to see the surgeon again. And that was in November last year. And uh, we look at the x-ray. And he looks quite, quite stunned. He call, goes, leaves the room, calls in another surgeon. He comes in and, and he says to the surgeon, have you ever seen this before? Like I'm not even in the room. And the surgeon said, no, no, I've never seen it before, mate. Well, have you? He goes, no, I've never seen it either. They called somebody else in the room. All three of them agree they've never seen this before. I'm like, well, what the fuck is it you haven't seen? 
Well, you see, yeah. And apparently, the liner sl- slotted back into the socket correctly under the, under doing the very small amount of rehab I was doing, which by then was probably just jujitsu. But uh, so it all, all realigned itself. Uh, so I said, so I said I, I originally had planned the second surgery for October this year, but I was in so much pain really that I said I, I can't really survive much longer with this. So they booked me in for um, Friday, March the thirteenth, and. Uh, <laughs> Ten days ago, I had my uh, left hip done, and uh, like I said, yeah, I haven't seen the surgeon. I saw a doctor for 20 seconds. They kicked me home in 48 hours, and that's all I know. So I have two new hips. Benin. So what's the prognosis made in it? Like weeks and weeks of rehab and then back training, potentially? Um, I don't know. I mean, physically, I, I probably could go back training, but mentally, I'm not sure if I want to, to be honest with you. I mean, in all honesty, after all the years I've been doing this shit, it's not the most important thing in my life anymore. Yeah. It just isn't anymore, you know what I mean? And uh, yeah. whether I go back into... I mean, I'll probably still teach, run the gym and stuff like that. Yeah. But train for myself? No, I, I doubt it, really. Yeah. It really don't really... I mean, what's the point? I'm going to put my body and my full set through the grinder, risk yeah. more damage for what? For an yeah. overpriced piece of metal painting <laughs> and, and a week of your friends going oh well done mate you're amazing you're so cool like, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I, i'd rather just just you know roll with shelly roll with the kids in the gym and just play around a little bit and leave it as that to be honest with you yeah, yeah. but then again you know i've entered many tournaments at night after having a beer or two and that may happen again yeah but i do doubt it so what's what's the what's the score, uh, Nick? Because obviously you've been in the game a long time, and you, at the moment there is loads and loads of people. And I know it's not quite the same as being injured, but there's loads of people out there that are going to be out of jujitsu, and there are different stages of their jujitsu life, their martial arts life. I'd say just listening to what you're saying, you've achieved what loads and loads of stuff you're sort of coming it to the end of the point where you need the physicality you know that that sort of side of it the side of jiu-jitsu because you've you know been through the ringer a lot you know but other people are not and they this is sort of culling their training early mentally and physically what should people be doing you know even if it is just from experiences of being injured and things like that what should people be doing to get through this period of not training i mean i i before i had the hips problem i had three knee surgeries as well so i mean the most important thing is keep your mind fresh just keep studying keep learning and just yeah. keep, keep your mind active i mean i was thinking about jiu-jitsu every day you know i wasn't training so yeah know. and that's, so that's the most what important thing people just need to keep their mind alive they need to be yeah. just watching jiu-jitsu just watching fights just um yeah. Being in the game in another way, mentally maybe, rather than physically. Yeah, it's a temporary thing, you know what I mean? It's something that something will pass and it will be forgotten. So you know, it's all about moving forwards. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what my th- question, actually, which I had for you, Nick, which was um, how do you think um, this, or do you think this is going to have any long-lasting effects on, on jiu-jitsu? You know, not just from... Are people going to want to be having, you know, we're doing this social distancing stuff at the moment. Are people going to want to get that close contact again? And 
we already know they probably are, but is this going to uh, affect a lot of BJJ gyms that they just can't come back from it? What What do you see as the longer lasting effects for jiu-jitsu off the back of what could be a six-month intermission? That's a very interesting question. I mean, I mean, it's, it's, it's a broad answer, really, because, I mean, some gyms will not recover, some will. But, I mean, when is it going to end? And is this, yeah. is this just the beginning of something that's long-term? I mean... I mean, is this just the first virus to appear? Mm. What about when COVID 20, 21, 22, 23? I mean, who knows? These are all questions that only time will tell. I mean, all, all combat sports is close proximity. Mm. Whether you're punching somebody in the face or rolling around the floor, sweating in each other's mouths, it's all pro- close proximity. Yep. Yeah. yeah. See, yeah. that's the thing, isn't it? They're talking like if this is going to work, there has been scientists saying that we might have to keep up our social dis- distancing practices for a year, which leads you into some sort of weird sci-fi world where none of us have any contact with each other. Do you know what I mean? We're just walking past. But when like, they bring out the microchips, it's not. Right. <laughs> You've got the chip, the chip it's saying it's clean. Microchips. It's happening, mate. I bet. Marty, mark my words. You all have a little chip saying you're clean, and then it turns red and bleeps when you yeah. when you the virus and your yeah. head. Is... Yeah. Oh, my back's on real. My collar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you got to lock yourself down again. Exactly. You, you get walked into a concentration go, camp. Honey, honey, why is your neck bleeping red? Fuck, yeah. fuck, fuck. <laughs> Would be funny, wouldn't it? What about no. you, George? You got a question for Nick? Uh, my one's a bit of a general jujitsu one. Say if the reptilian overlords of the universe fly down from space, they say to you, you're, they're going to erase your mind, but you're only allowed to keep one jujitsu game. What would that be? Uh, close guard. Excellent. Good choice. Yeah, because I can just lay there and do fuck all. I mean, <laughs> no movement required. But the thing is, you can have a game, but you, you, as soon as you start moving, your brain has to start, you know, interacting with moving objects. I mean, that becomes difficult. So, close guard, no movements. Yeah, sorted. I've got, I've got another question, Nick. So, me and Adam were at Euros in January, and you know, it was just, it actually was as mobbed as ever. Huge categories. Um, at the moment and it's you know i'm really hoping this doesn't have a long-lasting effect but let's just go back to pre-covid 19 just generally what countries are kicking out the best bjj athletes at the moment who are the ones to watch as in country-wise who are producing the athletes um that we should be keeping our eye on and why it's brazil still right because they have that depth you know, it takes generations to produce world-class athletes. It takes generations, you know. Because, yeah. you know, maybe you're the best guy in your gym and you're, you're amazing, but you don't have the guys to push you to that level. Hmm. But you'll help the guys below you get to a good level and be two or three of those guys. They'll help each other. And then the cycle goes on. So it's, just, it's about generations. And, I mean, I think the only, th- the only outstanding people I can talk about really is the community gym. You know, the, the, the Scandinavians like yeah. uh, Langaka, Esper Matheson, because those guys they created each other without any big names and right. they're all on the and they're all on the world scene doing amazing things you know you just you watch in awe how good these guys really are considering they haven't come from a major team 
And how have they done that? What, what have they done to achieve that? Or how does that work? They come from a country with so little daylight, there's nothing else to do. I mean, what do you do? I mean, you just roll around the floor and do jiu-jitsu. Other than that, you just drink loads of alcohol and get drunk. I mean, the choice is, is pretty simple. I mean, I'm not knocking those countries near the near that, near that the uh, North Pole, but I mean, with all that amount of um, daylight and uh, nighttime, the big lengths of it, I mean, what do you do? I'm actually joking, obviously. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I think obviously those guys put a lot of mat time in. A lot yeah. of mat time. And you can see they train together a lot. And they're both, all that team have come, come to, got themselves to a very, very good level. And it's inspiring to watch because, like I said, they've not come from a from a big team, but they've pushed themselves. They've obviously got the right attitude. Mm. They've put the mat time in. They've done the hard work, mm. and you know, and they have they've done great things, and they'll go on to do greater things. But we're mm. talking about three or four people here. Mm. The depth is still in Brazil. I mean, Abu Dhabi will produce people because Jiu-Jitsu has been there for over a decade now. I mean, but there's still a generation behind. I mean, Jiu-Jitsu has been in America for. For, since what the late 90s and they're still only producing a few champions who are american born mm. i mean the depth is still in brazil mm. and it will continue to be there for quite some time i think yeah how long do you think it will be for these other like emerging countries especially in europe do you think to come up and start producing you know how many generations are we talking before that, that, that it becomes like ingrained in in their culture so they're producing you know continual top level athletes and stuff like that i think at least another 10 15 years maybe longer well long time i think so we're still quite a way behind you know as a european as a european as as a huge um continent yeah i mean who how many world champions have we produced so far at black belt level well more female than we have male probably uh, I don't talk about women's jiu-jitsu. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Langacker Stop came laughing, first. John. <laughs> I mean, Langacker, what, took silver in the world. He did very, yeah. very well. Lost, I think, on an advantage to Isaac or two points. Can't remember now. That was an amazing match. Mm-hmm. Uh, Esther Matheson came very, very close. Got a bronze, but lost to Lucas Dupree by an advantage in a match where... Lucas Dupree had scored 20 plus points on pretty much everybody or submitted them, mm. and he came close. I mean, I mean I'm not a great um, um, with my memory with this sort of stuff, but I mean, I'm trying to think of a European black belt who's come close to the world, so apart from Nangaka, really. It yeah. probably is. I can't think of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a great athlete, but they're just not quite, they can't really do it in a big tournament where you've got to beat the next guy and the next guy and the next guy and the next guy and win four or five matches in a row. It's very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. And is that is that is the level that different, Nick? I mean, are we talking, you know, like for for the normal jiu-jitsu guys, are we talking the difference between like Premier League and Coca-Cola League jiu-jitsu, you know what I mean? It, is it is it that cavernous at the moment or or well, we confuse me because I don't watch football. So well, I don't is, either, but I'm just what like, is a Coca-Cola League? It's like the bottom of the pile. It's like yeah, 10 years it's ago. Like, it's <laughs> like, like the, world, the world's the world's and the Hertfordshire Open. So you're talking about the the Premier League versus pub football. Yeah, yeah, basically. Okay, pub football. That's weird to say pub football. Um, I don't know, man. I mean, you know, every year these new kids come out of Brazil who are just tearing it up. I mean, look at Chinatas Gracie last year, Jonathan Alves last year. I mean, they've got their black belts now and, and are killing it at black belt already. 
Mm. You've got Tayden Dalpera, who is an absolute beast. I mean, he won the Europeans at Brambach this year. I was coming back from a knee injury. And he subbed everybody in under four minutes. I mean, he, he made people who were really, really good look like they've never trained. Yeah. I, I mean, and he's doing nothing different from what pretty much most people do, but he just does it better. And he, he for me, he, what for me, he, his performance, Tatum's performance in the Europeans this year was the performance. I mean, watching him just terrorize people was just a joy to watch. Mm. You know? Mm. And, uh, but, and they keep producing these kids. They keep producing them, you know. So the depth, the depth, they have the depth. That's what I'm saying. I mean, who else does? America has been around forever. With Jiu-Jitsu now, doesn't really have the depth. Abu Dhabi is close behind. Doesn't have the depth. Europe, you know, we have two or three guys who could probably win the worlds, but that's a probably. I mean, I think Langak has a bit has a good shout. But he, even even the other top black was like Adam Wodinski, who is an absolute monster. I mean. You know, he's just not going to beat the top guys, unfortunately. I hope he does one day. I really do. But where do we go? Where, where, what are they doing that we're not? Yeah. So what names coming out of Europe and maybe even the UK do you think have got the potential to do well or are emerging sort of stars? Is there anybody you have your eye on or when you go to comps or you, you see this stuff, you know, you look at and you think they are, you know, upcoming talents? I mean, that's a very good question. I mean, out the UK, um, at black belt level, I can't think of anybody. Right. At brown belts, in, I mean, BJJ in the gi, world championships at brown belt, I can't think of anybody either. Purple belt. Uh, maybe it's a question for somebody else. So we're pretty bare bones then, really, to be honest. From that answer, it's, you know, you, you, you usually think there might be someone coming to mind, but, it, you know, it, it seems like there is a big gap, a skills gap, you know, a comp gap between between us and Brazil and, and, and a lot of these other countries. Wait, what's that kid's name uh, who's, who's just come onto the scene? Not, not come onto the scene, but as, as his black belt. Was it Juan Marquez or something? Who in his first ever match at Black Belt beat Keenan Cornelius? Yeah. Oh yeah. And yeah. then is it in the Houston Open or something? Submitted Felipe Andrew, who beat Keenan in the final. Yeah. I mean, his first and second match at Black Belt, he beat the absolute finest some, and and and, and um, silver medalist in the Europeans in his first two matches. I yeah. mean, he trains with um, Mikey Musumichi, doesn't he? They're like a, a pair of. Killing machines, yeah. Killers, that's what they are. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's yeah. clean to watch. I mean, they have absolutely, they have really, really nice jujitsu as well. The thing is, it's not like a bulldozer jujitsu. It's really, really nice to watch. The movement, like Taylor Dalpro, who's at the Men's Academy, his movement is just, I mean, it's just ridiculous. You know, I could watch him, I could watch him uh, massacre people all day long. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and again, he's been a brown belt for a very short period of time, and, he, and he's won a tournament in America where he's beaten black belts already. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I mean, who, who remembers Rodolfo Vieira when he uh, won the Abu Dhabi Pro and um, became famous over that? People don't realise, you know, he was a brown belt who won the black belt mixed division. He'd been a brown belt for two weeks. He got promoted two weeks before the tournament. Because he, he actually qualified as a purple belt, you know? And his coach promoted him two weeks before the tournament, and he went and won, won the black belt, black, black and black belt mixed division. So these guys are killers, you know. Yeah. He nearly yeah. met his match in Sardinia, didn't he? 
Jeffrey Smate took him down two points. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not, cool the the not, not my match, Nick. Not my match. I thought he'd break my grip as he broke my arm. You pulled guard, okay? If you, I, I believe in my heart, if you'd shot for that takedown, you'd have nailed it. I would have killed him. <laughs> One my day. Man, he did not want to have a top position, bro. I know that for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Adam, Adam, Adam claimed he was scared of him right up until he was, uh, he was breaking his arm. <laughs> they, um, all those videos have been taken down off YouTube. Have they? Yeah. He's protected. He's protected uh, commodity. Yeah. He can't have pictures of Rodolfo up. It's copyright. Copyright yeah. business. Uh, I have the evidence on my phone still, so don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kronk, you got a question for Nick? Yeah, it's about when you were training with Hodger, um, obviously he is one of the best, if not the best, gi competitor, maybe no gi competitor of all time. What was it like training with him and his guys when he was preparing for those competitions as you um, were learning? I've never actually dropped, I've never actually rolled with him when he was preparing, preparing for a competition. I've only ever rolled with him outside a tournament training and for fun. Right. Okay. I mean, there's absolutely no point me training with him when he's preparing for a tournament. Absolutely no point. Because it's really hard to explain the level Roger is on. But um, to give you some idea, I've seen him roll with the best black belts in the world and they get just absolutely destroyed and he's not even putting his foot on the gas pedal all the way. <laughs> he's not even trying. I mean, rolling with me, he will literally have a conversation with somebody, write out a shopping list, coach somebody else, and he's not even breaking a sweat. You know, and it's demoralising, to be honest with you. (laughs) (laughs) Depressing question. (laughs) (laughs) What what is it he's got, or what has happened, or what, you know, like, you see a lot of sports people, persons that are, like, mega, mega talented. They've got that X-factor you can sort of pinpoint what it is, whether they're genetically gifted or, I mean, he, he's not, he doesn't look, I mean, obviously he's in good shape. He's, but he doesn't look like a monster. He's not like a Rodolfo Vieira. He's not, he doesn't look incredibly strong. And, you know, what, what is it that he's got that makes him so different from other people? Or is it just his technical ability? First of all, Looks are always deceiving. Don't judge a book by its cover, my friend, because he is one of the strongest men you're ever going to meet. On the mat, his strength, he just goes through the roof. He is ridiculously strong. But he's also got this something called timing, and something that something, something people never really talk about. Roger's timing is impeccable. He'll, he'll nail that perfect moment repeatedly on you, on, on anybody pretty much. And that's what he has. You know, he's strong. He has that perfect timing. But don't forget, look, look where he learned his trade. You know, we're talking pre-YouTube in those days. You know, he was at Baja in Rio, which at the time was the number one gym in the world. 40 world champion black belts on the mat every day. I mean, when you're a kid growing up in that environment, even by accident, you're going to get good. Mm. Now, if you have some natural talent to go with that, you need to become very, very good. And... He became very, very good. You know, I mean, he, he trained mostly uh, after that in Rio, New York, in New York with Henzo and stuff. So he's got the best guys around him. 
But he was, you know, just imagine Rio back then with all those black belts on the mat and you're just a teenager growing up and rolling with them. I mean, you, you're going to be good. How can you not be? Yeah, yeah. You know, right, I think it's the right place, right time, right person. In all yeah. honesty. Yeah, and just created a monster. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, got... Sorry, go on, Nick. I mean, like I say, you roll him and... The, the only way... Like, doesn't matter how much you talk. It's only when you've rolled him that everything become clear. You know, once you roll him... You don't even have to ask. You, you'll ne- Once you've rolled him, you'll never ask that question because you know. Yeah. <laughs> like, but then you can't explain to anybody else because you have to be there and be there to feel that to understand what's going on. And but the only thing I could move when I'm rolling with him, you know, honestly, was my mouth. <laughs> right. And I ne- it never stopped moving, mate, because the, the only fun I ever got from that was shit talking to him the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> and I used, to, I used to honestly talk complete rubbish and literally wind him up and talk crap every time we rolled non-stop because it's the only fun I had it was demoralizing and the thing is he never really got it at first he doesn't really have that kind of sense of humor and nobody really talks you when you roll it's quiet isn't it yeah you don't want some young guy or some old guy just literally trash talking you the whole fucking round while you're destroying it you know so it took a long (laughs) while but fast forward about seven eight years he would actually trash talk me back (laughs) <laughs> and that would be more banter than actually rolling in the end and it became fun for me in the end finally for about eight years of being smudged into the floor it became fun but um no he, he's simply amazing you know he yeah. really is good and um yeah he's definitely going to go down as a legend and i mean i think i, I want to just ask you a question that uh, I, do you remember mark chen we had mark chen um i trained on, mark chen a couple of times yeah yeah of course he's he's an old school guy uh, yeah. like yourself and we asked him what the difference is between MMA training back in the day when it really sort of was emerging in the UK and um, and the difference between MMA athletes then and MMA athletes now and the training methods and so on and so forth and I kind of want to ask you the same question because you were at almost the dawn of uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in the UK, or, or, or it was the dawn. It was, it was. It, there were not clubs in every street corner like there are now. Um, there wasn't, you know, there was only blue belts really that were kicking around. I mean, to see a purple belt was a rarity. I remember that. You know, there, there was yeah. no black belts that, that didn't exist. Um, can you just give us a little insight into what it? what it was like, what people were like, and how it differs from today's sort of time. I mean, I mean, back then, I mean, talking like maybe late 90s, 2000, something like that. I mean, who was in the country? You had what? Chen Marais was mm. teaching. That was about it. Mm. Apart from seminars, there was nobody else teaching. So like everybody else, you know, people had were buying these um, VHS cassettes out of back of the newspapers and stuff and just learning by themselves and just trying to get along the best we could, you know, until things started to pick up. I mean, well, I'm trying to think now. I mean, two, I mean, I remember fighting in the Gracie Invitational in 2000 and I think it was five, I think it was, or four, maybe four or five, I can't remember now. And I remember that they, they stopped the show and we had a purple belt super fight. And that was what 16, 15, 16, 17 years ago. Purple belt nice. super fight, you know, and it was two, and we we're like, fuck, purple belts, wow. Yeah. 
Yeah. I can't, and all I remember is I remember there was a clash of heads and one guy got his nose broken and it ended what, a minute and a half earlier, like in a minute and a half because of the clash of heads. But my God, there was two purple belts and that was what, probably 15, 16 years ago. And then we were training probably eight years before that. So yeah. it was messing around, mostly all no gi back then. But, you know, I mean, I didn't start training in the gi properly until I met Joao Santos. So and that would probably run about... 1999, 2000, maybe earlier than that. Still, I don't know. Can't remember. And what was what were the what were the people? Because there was obviously other people in these in these. Well, they were in in like community halls and things like that, weren't they? They weren't. They didn't have. There yeah. weren't no gyms. They were in like little, you know, Tottenham High Road hall. I remember Ireland's was. I think in 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 um in Tottenham, in the community centre in Tottenham. You know, they who were the what were the other people? What were their motivations? What was it like, you know, and, and how do they differ from the guys that are training nowadays? Or were they just the same guys? There was just less yeah. of them. I mean, back back then, we were all martial artists doing other arts. And we'd, we'd seen a, pretty much everybody started the same way. They'd all seen Hoist Gracie doing these incredible things in the UFC. And going, oh my God, we got to learn this. But of course, no one was teaching. So everybody was like had their feelers out, looking, trying to find, and no one could find. And we all kind of... Kind of, kind of found each other in a way, mm-hmm. and drifted together like little magnets. And, and then, really, yeah. that's what happened. You all, all sort of culminated in a place. Yeah, who, who's to say how and how and what it happened? But it was just, I suppose, the evolution of it. And but like nowadays, you get people coming straight to jujitsu without doing any martial arts whatsoever. But back then, people, all the old school guys had done other martial arts before, mm-hmm. all, pretty much. Do you think that was an advantage for those guys? Did you have? Did you feel you had an advantage because you box? You've done traditional jiu-jitsu, You know, you've done loads of bits and pieces before. Was is that is that something you think is an advantage, or do you think it's better to start with a completely, fr- you know, fresh start? Um, that's, that's a good question. I mean, blank sheet of paper. I mean, the thing is, if you come from another martial art, you already have balance, movement, timing even other things, you already have that built in. You've learned that already. So you have that kind of dexterity you wouldn't have if you're just a couch potato. Mm. So I, I think it's important that you've done something before. I don't think, I don't think it's you know, imperative to do it, but I think it's an advantage you've done something before. So even if it's different movements, I mean, like boxers, hand and feet, the hand and feet coordination has to be there. Kickboxer type, all the same, all about hand and feet coordination. And boxing, you've got to learn how to move your hands and feet independently, all doing the same job. So your brain is already in tune for these kind of things. You just have to be switched from one thing to the other. Mm. If you've never done that before, you've got to learn that process from the beginning. So I think it's a longer process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you and we've talked about... Um, uh, you, you've said before, not to turn a phrase, so tell me if I'm wrong, but you have said that there's a lot, of, or someone might have said there's a lot of pussies in jiu-jitsu out there. <laughs> now, do you right. think yeah. that previously in the past... You calling that, me a pussy, Dave? No, I'm not calling anyone a pussy, mate. I'm just saying there's a lot of people that you wouldn't term as the archetypal fighters. I'm oh, just yeah. saying. Um, what I'm saying I mean, is, previously, most people who search for jiu-jitsu were wanted to fight, didn't they? They, they were fighters, generally. Whereas, actually, the times have changed, haven't they? Look, look what we had to go on. Like, look, 15, 20 years ago, you didn't have 
uh, the, the, uh, the Mundial Jiu-Jitsu DVD or VHS cassette to watch. You had the UFC, which was basically two guys in a cage and beating the living crap out of you. It was basically just violence. Mm. And the people like 20 years ago who came into Jiu-Jitsu were attracted to the fact that some guy could get into a cage, all that violence going on and beat them. So it took a certain type of guy to get into the sport because of what we were watching that got us into the sport. Nowadays, you watch two two fucktards sit on their asses, rolling upside down, passing each other's asses <laughs> with their toes, going upside down this way and that way, this way and that way, this way and that way, and that's called jiu-jitsu now, apparently. <laughs> and we're having world championships, so I mean, what do I <laughs> You, you put it so much more eloquently than I did. I'm both of words, mate, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. <laughs> it's definitely cleared that up. But, but yeah, yeah, I mean... If you, if, you can, if you can roll upside down and basically collate yourself, you can do very good in jiu-jitsu. Because that's the movement right now that's winning championships, you know? Yeah. Whereas, I mean, like, I mean, 20 years ago, they didn't exist. Could you imagine yeah. a voice doing a Berrien Bolo in the, on... on, on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I, I, I mean you could probably do it to be honest with you but I mean would he I doubt yeah. that very much yeah. and it's interesting you say that as well because there's something I've I've, I've wanted to ask you for a while that I'm interested in um, because you just said it yourself like modern jiu-jitsu Baron Bolos you know uh, there's a lot of guards out there that people are playing what, what place does that have in being out to defend yourself do you know what i mean do you think think that bjj is still a relevant art in you know, yeah being, being out of, you i know, mean I think what is missing nowadays is that people don't do enough takedowns and stand up work i mean i'm i'm a guard player i mean i, I like to pull guard and play guard but i still have a whole uh plethora of take like that like that word plethora I like of like in, in my arsenal yeah. You know I, I like mean? it, it's like, not as much as fucktards, but I like. I like uh, it. yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> I like fellatio stuff. <laughs> it's close though. Yeah, I mean, I mean, <laughs> nowadays, it, it, you you'll just see loads and loads of double guard pulls, and the first thing I do, I mean, you, you got flow grappling, you have got ten mats to watch, and I see two people do a double guard pull, and I go flick next match. Yeah. Look at something uh, else. you I mean, that that and fifty fifty with, with a lapel wrap through the legs, which, which is the most boring crap you've ever seen in your life. I mean, normally I just go and get a cup of tea at that point because you know, I know I know in the next six minutes I'll come back. They're still in the same fucking position, doing nothing. You what know? do you think about those lapel guards, Nick? Lapel guards, I think, are great. They're really, really good. I've been using them for years, teaching to pass them for years, playing them for a long while. I mean, like all these things, I think, are very, very valid in today's sport jiu-jitsu. I think it's really, really good. But some positions have evolved this way, like yellow heaper guard, reverse heaper guard has evolved this way. And I think I think it's great this evolved this way. It's opened up the game a lot more. Uh, but sometimes the position evolves in the wrong way. Like 50-50. Now you pull the lapel through the legs in 50-50. It's hard to retract the leg, and it's evolved in the wrong way. So it's, it's now evolved into a dead end where you you, you can't really go anywhere. Yeah. So some things are good, some things are bad. I mean the IBJJF, God, I love them so much. They're changing the rules constantly to try and improve the the um, I don't know the spectator factor. So people makes it more pleasing to watch and stop stalling. So these things will probably be changed at some point. You know, they're trying to improve it in that way. Um, but um, uh, the best way to improve the sport is not to ban the globetrotters, really. What a fucking stupid move by them on that. 
Yeah, yeah crazy. what was that all about, Nick? The belt checker website directly contradicts the way that IGF validate your belts. And I, I kind of um, put on their toes a little bit with that. So yeah. I think that's one of the main main reasons for it. But, um, you know. Do you think well, that's going to have an effect now on, you know, how other teams interact with or how other sort of associations interact with the IBJJF off the back of that? Because that's that was quite a strong move, wasn't it? Well, I mean, I, I mean, you know, you know, you know, my feelings on on um, on that money grabbing federation anyway. So I have no love from whatsoever. But I do what I do because I've got students who want to compete in their tournaments. Yeah. Um, I'm sure Globe Trotters will come back from this bigger and stronger and better, mm. and I hope they do. Yeah. Um, you know, end of the day, the IBJJF are not a governing body. They're a private company. Nothing more. Yeah. And do you think there's anybody else that's going to come up and rival the IBJJF? Do you think IBJJF are going to have a, a monopoly on BJJ comps and almost like I'm not I'm not saying they are a governing body, but they they have a lot of things that act like a governing body, i.e. their belt registration and things like that. Do you think this someone's going to come along and... Well, I mean, the Abu Dhabi Pro are making strides in that direction. I mean, who else can come? I don't know. I mean, the object is still the most prestigious, but I mean, their belt registration process is a load of rubbish. You know, they only recognise your belt the day you start paying their money, not the day you got your belt. I mean, who gives a fuck? I mean, do you think a bunch of black dogs sitting on a table having dinner going, when did you register? When did you register? When did you register? No one cares. All they care about is when your professor handed you your black belt. That's the date you care about. So fuck them, you know what I mean? Um, I really have no interest in, in, in that kind of stuff. I just go about my day-to-day business and let everything go past as it goes past. But it's very, very disappointing to see the way they treat the globe boys. And um, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a shame Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Go on, Ed. It almost seems counterproductive then. Loads of people, you know, loads of new blood entering. They're in their no. comps, they've just got what they you can't spin in the herd. They're just forced to go down the other route, which is the IBJJF route, which means get find a professor, mm-hmm. register with them, and pay them money, and then they'll pay that to the IBJJF. So they'll get Preferably the money. Gracie Baja. Money. They'll still get the money, but just by other channels. Yeah. Yeah. It's because they're a threat to the Red Shield. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you die on the Red Shield, Kronk? No, I'm a threat to it, man. Red Shield, Green Shield, I don't know. <laughs> so, I guess moving on um, and just bringing it back to the current situation, um, where do you see this ending up, Nick? What do you, you know, I know there's been some musings about this is going to be three months lockdown one year no contact you know we're going back talking about this COVID-19 situation because you know, for, for a lot of guys gym owners business owners it means a lot it's, I don't know if you know or you've seen it but there's loads of gym owners that are trying to find ways of keeping the dream alive and it it, it may be futile if this goes on for like a, a year on and off um it's going to see a lot of people out of business. Uh, yep. So at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's a contact sport. If you're not allowed to have any contacts, where are you going to go with it? It's that, yeah. it's that simple, really. Yeah. How's yeah. Matt Jiu-Jitsu? There you go. I've just patented it. 
Mine. Well, yeah. I mean, we end up doing this stuff, this yeah. stuff, pass on. <laughs> I mean, we can still roll like that. <laughs> I mean, it's probably, you know, it probably is the way forward. You know what? If you invent Jiu-Jitsu hazmat suit now, you could be a trillionaire. Like, like a big John condom. Or like a morph yeah, suit. Doing it. Yeah. <laughs> That was my idea for the women's self-defense that time, wasn't it? They got vetoed. <laughs> at the end, so I was going to challenge them at the end, give them a self-defense course, and then come out in a morsuit and attack them. <laughs> got vetoed. I can see why that probably got vetoed. I can, yeah, not very know. good for the Facebook reviews, would it? No, I don't think it would. <laughs> I think that would have been a bad business move, but, you know, maybe worth a try now. <laughs> try yeah. anything once. Yeah. <laughs> That's going down the face. How's this um, lockdown working down your end of the country? Because I'm stuck here in London. I'm actually, I'm stuck here in, in, this, in this one flat. I haven't been out in the flat in um, pretty much nearly two weeks because of the hip. So. It was crazy on the weekend. Everyone was out at the beach. Everyone was out in the woods, like more than normal. It was just a joke. Yeah, um, yeah what's up with that? I mean, normally it pisses down all the way through March. Yeah. As soon as you get some kind of restriction, the sun's out going, hey, motherfuckers, I'm <laughs> testing you, I'm testing Come you. Come and get me. Yeah. I think the thing is in Dorset, and I don't know whether you other boys agree with me, that, I mean, and I was previously in London, so I mean, you are a little bit more spread out. So it, it seemingly is not, people aren't flaunting it as quite as bad, because I think it's difficult in London to not look like you're flaunting it you know you live in a street packed with 100 houses you come out your road there's probably three or four people out there walking down the road at the same time as you that's just that's just fact whereas here it's it's not as um as obvious as that but then people I think generally are flaunting it the same as they are in London like you say going to the beach at the weekend and old people like me, I was with the kids on the bikes, three of them, three mentalists driving around the road. I had to make my kids cross the road and then cross back the other side. And these old geezers just kept walking towards us. I could have just weren't trained. So I'm, I'm a considerate, loving individual. But it, you know what I mean? They don't seem to, they're not taking it seriously. I think I we think, have got an aging population down here as well, haven't we? Oh, yeah. yeah. Everyone thinks. Oh, it's, yeah, it's one of the biggest uh, retirement locations. I think people are still trying to just get bits in as well after all this, all this panic buying. You know, they're just they're still trying to go out and get like a week's shop of everything they need, and mm. so they're just they're going back up to get some cheese or some milk or something. At the weekend, it was right, fuck it. You know, we've got this is probably it. The last weekend, let's go out have a walk. I know, let's go down the beach. It'll be quiet down there, and fucking half of Bournemouth was down there walking along yeah. the promenade. Yeah. I think um, it's the people that go out on the piss, though, isn't it? It's the, it's the last Friday when all the pubs and restaurants are shutting and everybody decides they're going to go out on the piss. And that really is, you know, that that is, that is a blatant sort of, uh, you know, finger sticking up to uh, a lot of people that have, you know, I think that that's why people are so angry about it because there's a lot of people who've shut their businesses, they're taking a massive hit for the team for the greater of good, and other people just aren't doing that. You know, there's there's almost like a two-tier. It's those who feel like they should they should yeah. do it they should do it for the greater their community, and then there's other people that, you know, push the envelope, you know, go down the pub when, you know, it's not necessary. Um, but you, you wait about that, there'd be like, like prohibition times, there'd be loads of pubs 
open secret pubs and people just go it'd be a nightmare well how do you think this how how strict do you think this what about you nick how strict do you think this lockdown is gonna have to be before you know people really do sort right. themselves out you put the military on the streets you don't any you don't anybody go out unless they have to go to a supermarket one person at a time otherwise how are you gonna stop people getting together because let's face it okay key essential workers fine how are you gonna get to work look at the tube trains this morning absolutely yeah. rammed yeah so you close the stations everybody has everybody has like a national two or three week holiday and shut the whole fucking country down otherwise you're not going to fucking stop the problem are you no it's the only way forwards but that is like an economic suicide it's going to cost a fortune yeah. what, so, what johnson doesn't want to do yeah so my job all, my, all the construction sites still working still working yeah. full ahead yeah my brother's been he was told up until yesterday that he had to go he had to go in they were switching him from nights to uh to days at Sunseeker, but he, uh, his missus is a receptionist, a doctor, so she's considered key staff, so she has to go in. So he's got a little one at home, you know. There's, there's, so she's got to go to work, but then he's got to go to work at the same time, and then there's a nipper that's got no one to look after him. So, what? Yeah. Well, Shelley went shopping today, and even the workers in the in Morrison's were standing around talking to each other. Yeah. Start talking to each other. I mean, I mean, just literally, literally having a conversation in close proximity. Nobody wearing gloves. Nobody wearing masks, apart from the actual cashiers and stuff. I mean, when when Shelley got home today, she got dental wipe and wiped down all the boxes, all all the stuff she'd bought, mm. because obviously lives, people don't realize lives on the surface for like for quite a long period of time. Does yeah. so wiping down all that stuff as well. But mm. like I say, I mean, it's a huge supermarket. They had no tin food, no frozen food. All that had been gone already. I mean, you want to get chips, good luck to that. Nobody's buying fresh fruit and vegetables because it's perishable. Mm. So, yeah. I mean, and obviously no toilet roll because I got it all. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I told you, but I've got a 54. Have I told you about that? <laughs> <laughs> about 54 rolls. I don't want to keep bragging, but, you know. Is so it made in China? Huh? Is it made in China? Yeah. <laughs> it's probably Chinese, yeah. Uh, are you going to start burning rolls just for fun? One last question before we um, before we wrap up, because it's been great having you on, Nick. And I just want to find out everybody's opinion on on um, what they think about the irrelevance of the celebrity amongst all this, because it, it seems to be that this situation, maybe temporarily, has quashed the popularity of the celebrity. And now the popularity of those people that are, you know, doing your, serving your shopping at the supermarket have become all the more important. Is this something you think the British public are going to catch on? Or do you think that they're going to just fall back into their same old habits when it all, all gets done? Who knows? I mean, I mean, right, right now, and then this is when it comes to life and death and all that shit. It's not important, is it? Who cares? Mm. But I mean, the, the the real heroes are the nurses and doctors who are going into work every day, facing possible con- contamination and death every day. I mean, they're, they're, 
and yet we have a very, very, uh, the meme going around to the video, in fact, of the uh, MPs all cheering when they quashed the vote to uh, give them a pay rise. Now, all of a sudden, they're the very people saving everybody's lives. So, there's a bit of irony there. But as it goes to celebrities, I mean, what the fuck's a celebrity now? Yeah. Well, that's the question. What What is a celebrity after this? Because Roughness. when they look, when we're seeing them after three months of roots and no Botox and the eyelash <laughs> tint's gone. <laughs> oh, I'd pay to see that. Celebrity's going to get pretty ugly. The front room looking like shit. <laughs> have no that would be um, justice, wouldn't it? That would be justice. Yeah. I, 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 I just feel sorry for Schofield, mate. You know, after coming out, he's got to stay in, hasn't he? So, it's, <laughs> <laughs> really, you know. Poor old Philip. Uh, he, he, poor old Philip. He's got to stand two metres away from Holly as well, which is probably upsetting him. What it's happened like, about all that? Wasn't there some controversy drama about to be released about him or something? Well, yeah. I mean, he only came out because he, he was going to be outed by a runner he was shagging anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, that's a conspiracy theory that's been covered up by the COVID-19, apparently. That's why they've done it. That's, that's why they released <laughs> they, it. They've done Philip. it. We're saving a national treasure. Yeah. <laughs> saved it, a national right. treasure. So they Disney's instantly asked Chinese to release it. Walt Disney yeah. released it in two packs. Disney. He's Disney to get Disney a, Plus. Just another fucking Barrymore, another piece of shit. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Before we take down every every celebrity... Barrymore uh, Love uh, Paul, take me there. Dave, take me to the Barrymore Love Paul. I think we'll, we'll <laughs> wind it up. So thanks very <laughs> much go for there, Dave. On, Thanks very much for coming on. Really appreciate Thanks, it. It was a great yeah, chat. It was a pleasure. And before I go, one thing I have to say, stay indoors. Yes. yes. There's a camera. There's a camera. Stay indoors. Yes. Don't go out. It's 100%. 100%. That's what we're trying to say to people. If you can, stay indoors. Only uh, come out for our reopening. And yeah. if you're running low on these things, PM me. Okay, I don't deliver, but I'll do you a good price. Right. <laughs> toilet roll dealer, dealer, thousand. What if somebody's got black market McDonald's though? Look at that. Look, look. Have no, I, I, I love that. <laughs> no, I mean. <laughs> so anyway, for the rest of the, the rest of the week, we've got Alan Witten coming in. Uh, he is um, BJJ Brownbelt under Nick Brooks. He's also uh, owner of Fighters Mind. He's a NLP practitioner, and he's going to give us a few tips on how to cope with being inside and isolation, and what we should be doing to keep ourselves mentally fit and healthy throughout. Uh, and then we've also got. Uh, Polaris veteran and star Jeff Ippon Lawson on the show on Friday, uh, who's going to give us his take on the madness. He's thought about uh, ice cold sea, bar- sea dips and cold immersion that he's been practicing a bit recently and uh, everything else, uh, COVID-19. So we look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Uh, thank you, Adam. Thank you, Jord. Thank you, Cronk. And, of course, thanks very much, Nick. Thanks, we'll Nick. catch up with you soon. Absolute pleasure, guys. And the last thing before we go, uh, you've got to have some respect for the first person ever to recover from coronavirus because, you know, he was an experiment and he has uh, a nice message for everybody. Um, he's explaining how he survived and what we can do to prevent the illness. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.
We'll take his word for it. So it's really important we take this advice and um, stay safe, everybody, okay? Oh, Cheers, Nick. Thanks, Nick. Yeah, Cheers, Nick. <laughs>